0: Um I got this great comic. You know we we uh uh I I want to read it too. I don't I think it'll be okay to read. Um, we talked about connecting Sunday, you know. And in this uh in this comic it says our connected world and, and you're not going to be able to see it. Um, but this 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 guy is yelling at uh, apparently his girlfriend or wife or whoever she is and he says uh Where have you been? No email? You didn't text me? Not a clue on your blog? You didn't update your status on Facebook? It's like you fell off the face of the earth. And she says to him, did you not check Twitter? He says, oops, sorry. Upstairs going to the bathroom. Be back in five. (laughs) It's a little over-connected. But it works. That's funny. All right. Um, So Matthew 23, I did want to just talk before we get in there about, I had two good questions at the end of they the same question, actually, from several different people. About uh, something in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, in the first parable where it talks about the wedding banquet and the guy who's there, who's uh, who's kicked out because he's not wearing the right clothes. And it says, many are called but few are chosen. It's it, Some people wanted some further clarification on that. And so I, I didn't feel like I answered them very well and I dug into it a little deeper, and, and I'm on the right track, and let me see if I can explain it in, in, in a way that if anybody had any questions, that will try and answer those questions, so I made a bunch more notes, um, but what, what happens is, in this process, hang on a minute. Remember that we're, we're in a parable and we're talking about in this parable Pharisees as we are in all these chapters and we'll, we'll pick up that thread in a minute. And what happens is we're using this parable of a wedding feast, which would have been a pretty normal thing, a wedding banquet. People would have known what to expect. It's, a, it's something that's happened in the scripture. And as part of the wedding banquet, you would have been provided wedding clothing by the person that invited you. It's part of the process. Okay. And, and so even though these people had been called in off the street, remember the, the invited people hadn't come, that was the Pharisees. So they went and they expanded it to everybody else, and they were invited to come. And there's a guy in there who's not wearing the wedding garment, even though, and this is where it comes in, he would have been given one. What he did was he chose not to wear it as if he didn't need to, if he wasn't required to wear the wedding garments like everybody else had. And it would ultimately be an insult to the host uh, who had invited him in, and what it represents to us is is it's a picture of us putting on the Lord uh, and being clothed in Christ, and, and that um, that in that clothing, see, it, it, it's uh, look, look God can offer you the garment of salvation if you would. You get to choose whether or not you put it on, and and the point is that that that. Uh, many are chosen, few are called, you have a response in the called part. See, if you don't choose to put on Christ, if you don't choose to accept him as your Savior, even though he's offered to you, uh, it's like not putting on the wedding garment, and it's, a, it's an insult to the host, to the banquet. And so that's the process. That's, that's what he's talking about here. It's a picture of this... Um, uh, this, this, it 's a picture of salvation it 's extended to everyone in Christ, but they get to choose whether or not they 're going to put it on and, and so uh, if you don 't put on Christ, you don 't make it into the big wedding feast, even though you've been uh, everybody 's invited, right but you can 't show up now and it 's sort of a picture of, of the Pharisees thinking that they had enough of their own righteousness that they didn 't need Christ. that 's sort of the, the, the idea that 's understood we don 't need you, Jesus we're good enough by our works we don't need your wedding garment we don't need your salvation we don't need it and god said you absolutely do need it you're out and and not being in is a bad thing (laughs) you know we don't focus on that much here but you do not want to be in all right when it comes time for the reading of the book of life you want your name in that one (laughs) because you don't get to go oops there's no big do-overs um you know, and people say to me sometimes, well, you don't talk about it much. I think, we love pe- I think when, when, when people are loved into the kingdom, they make really good disciples. When, when people are sort of threatened in or scared in, they don't make good disciples at all because it's sort of more like an insurance policy they're trying to, and, and that doesn't work because, again, Jesus says things like, yeah, I don't know you. Yeah, but what about, you didn't hang out with me. Um, and so, so, you know, for me, when, when we present the gospel, it's always about the love of God. Because that's what wins people over. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but th- decisions that I've made based on fear have never really been good decisions. Decisions motivated by love, those are the best decisions. And so we want people to be motivated that way. And yet, we need to make sure that they understand that, that they're invited, but they get to choose. And, and they can't choose on their terms. See, that's really the picture, see? The, Pharaoh, the representation of the Pharisee was he was going to the banquet, but he was going on his terms. And God says, well, you can't go on your terms. You can only come in on mine. That's that's how that parable works. Many are called, few are chosen. You have a response in the chosen part. God chooses you as long as you've put on the garment of Christ, which was your choice. And that's how that sits together. If that doesn't help, we'll, we can go after it some more. But uh, that was my understanding of that verse. And so I dug in a little deeper to make sure we could talk about it. Okay, so we are moving into Matthew chapter 23. And um, this this chapter in the NIV, it's called the seven woes. <laughs> and, and uh, the Woes. Now, we'll see verse 14 isn't in the NIV, although it's in older translations, but it's not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. And so, and I, I've included verse 14 for you in, no, I didn't. I, I included it in my notes. Because <laughs> if you have a, a King James or a New King James, you can find it in there. And if you count verse 14, there's actually eight woes. But um, since it didn't show up in the earlier manuscripts, it's not in the NIV, which is what happened when they translated the NIV. They had older manuscripts to go from. And by that I mean they had discovered, since the, the writing of the King James, manuscripts in the Greek that went further back. So they were more reliable because they had been transcribed less times. So that's uh, that's why when you see a little discrepancy sometimes, that's what happens. Okay, um, And yet, you know, you, the, the translations, uh, we, we value all the translations. I like to read them, and I included uh, that one in Interday. day. Okay, and so um, uh, we're... You know Matthew, and we've been following it very closely from the beginning. That's what's so neat about looking at things in context. We're moving through together, and we've seen the ministry develop. And, and what you're probably seeing now is that most of Matthew is about this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees—the the, the real way, a relationship with God, and the false way about rules and regulations. Are you surprised at how much of Matthew is about that conflict? And then you see other little things sort of happening with it. The other one that's sort of running through here all the time is this thing with the disciples trying to figure out who's the greatest. And Jesus using like everything at his disposal to keep telling them it's not that way, it's this way. And, and if they're not careful, what's going to happen is they'll become just like the Pharisees. And so you you see these little subplots that develop. But the big plot from Matthew chapter 5 has been Jesus trying to straighten out what the Pharisees have been doing and what, what we'll see today... Um, uh, people stuck in religion have done since the beginning of time and, and how they've always rejected the, the messengers of God who try and get things straightened out because people come with these rules and keep making it impossible for people to get to God. And we, it happens today. There's all sorts of places that try and rule you away from God because you can't live up to the rules and so you don't feel worthy and then they use guilt to get you to do stuff that, that you, isn't right. And we see, uh, we see whole groups of people that connect, not based on the one that they love, but based on what they hate. And it's a bad connection. It's not legitimate. But when you see that, you, you see, what, what, what we learn from Matthew, and what I hope you learn, is that we, we have to be always on the watch that we're not becoming just like the Pharisees, because it's very, very easy to do. And at some level, we all got a little Pharisee in us, everybody. When I first started playing music and writing music, I wrote a song. It's called, I Got Too Much Pharisee in Me. (laughs) It was real bad. but I got too much Pharisee. (laughs) I don't remember it all now, fortunately. But I remember that part. But, see, we all got a little bit of it in us. Um, Let me go ahead and read you Matthew 23. And then we'll chat about it for a few minutes. Beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Let me pause from the scripture for a moment, because phylacteries isn't a normal term. Phylacteries were these things that uh, they were like leather pouches that contained um, little pieces of parchment that had Old Testament scriptures on them. And they would have had them on their, on their left arms and on their foreheads wrapped around. And, and the deal was that they, they made these things so big that everybody could see them. It was a pride issue. It wasn't that they were just trying to hang on to the scripture, which is what the intention initially was. They were just trying to show everybody how holy they were, and how spiritual. So Thus, the same thing with the long uh, tassels on their on their prayer shawls. It was for show. And and that's an issue when we do things for show. They love, verse 6, the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you all are brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, and again, that's one of the status things I'm talking about. I'm breaking from the... We get all hung up on titles. And um, it's, he's, that's what was happening with him. It's not about titles. You just do it. Um, uh, if, if you're a teacher, you teach. You don't have to be called teacher to teach. You just have to teach. It's like being a pastor. You don't have to be called. A lot of people are called pastor that ain't. Because they don't. Uh, you, you just do it. It's, it's who you are. It's, it's, uh, it's like anything else. And so we, we need to be. And what he's talking about there is how, how, how. See, rabbi was a title they liked. And that was the problem. It, it, they were going for titles. When, when they weren't backing it up with what they did. See, if they, if they were really rabbis. They would have just rabbied. <laughs> and it wouldn't have mattered what they were called, because you just do it, because that's what you do, see? And, and Jesus is trying to make that point. I'm sorry, but I'm back on track now. <sighs> woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I, I really don't want Jesus saying woe to me. You know what I'm saying? And he goes, he's going to go on it here, and he gets seven of them, eight, if you count the one in verse 14. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Verse 14, I'm going to read it to you from the New King James. It's not in your notes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. It may help you to really give short graces at dinner time. thank you Jesus let's eat (laughs) (laughs) woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when he becomes one you make him twice as much of son of hell as you are Jesus was not happy here woe to you blind guides you say if anyone swears by the temple it means nothing but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple He is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gifts on it, he is bound by his oath. See what they cared about? You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the laws and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. That's funny. I I just like it. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the sin of your forefathers, you snakes. You brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks and under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Jesus there, the last verse, talking about his second coming. Okay, so the clock is running down on Jesus' earthly ministry. And he is setting the record really straight about the Pharisees. Remember the conflict. He's, he's gone to them. He's, he's told them the truth about God. He's encouraged them to make the right changes they need to make. And they've rejected, rejected, rejected. And now they've gone as far as they're trying to trap him, which has been happening for chapters. And ultimately now they're planning to kill him. And he knows it's coming. He's not caught by surprise at any of these things. And he, he needs to make sure that his disciples know the truth. And so he's been talking about the Pharisees for chapter 21, chapter 22. We've been looking at all the different parables. And he, And he really sort of sums it up in this chapter. Because he wants to make sure there's no mistake. And like I said, he started way back in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, but I say to you, undoing the teaching of the legalism of the Pharisees, uh, as we could. And he makes these points in these woe statements that are pretty significant. Um, in, in Matthew 23, 3, um, what he tells us is that the Pharisees don't practice what they preach. And look, again, these are, these are great things for us to remember so we don't get Pharisaical. And if you get people that are doing these things, you go, Oh, I get what that is. That's just religious. That's not God. That's, that's a religious sort of spirit. You know. When, uh, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> you know. When, uh, to say someone has a religious spirit is, a, is not a good thing because we're not talking about what we need desperately to have is a relationship with God. That's what we're looking at. That's what Jesus was talking about. When we reduce it to rules and regulations, we always lose God in the process. And so one of the things that happens when people get moving in that direction is they don't practice what they preach. And... Conversely, uh, when when you try and do that, it will limit the subjects you can preach on, <laughs> because it, it, you're a work in progress. Uh, you you it's very hard to tell people to do something you ain't doing if you're if you're honest about it. You you know you 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 do what you and where you're at, and you 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 include those things. But um, r- remember, part of the part of the problem was is that. They kept trying to set themselves above everybody else, and and to make a standard that they were hypocrites because they weren't living that life. They were just pretending to live it, and you always have to be careful of that we, the the body of Christ isn't isn't meant to have uh, a, a ruling group that's above everybody else. Uh, the ruling the people making decisions are there because they're serving alongside everybody else. And anytime you you see a situation where it's very clear that there's this. Sort of elite status class. You've got an issue because they're getting out of they're getting out of line. Alright? So you have to be very careful with that. And so they don't practice what they preach. In Matthew 23, 5. The Pharisees did what they did because they wanted to be admired by the people. They weren't concerned about living lives that please God. And again, here's this thing coming back on them again. It's all about how they appear, what they look like. It's really not about what matters, because what matters most is living lives that please God. Ultimately, all of us live. For an audience of one, we're trying to make him happy. Now, in that, he's, he's not going to let us so we treat everybody else badly because making him happy is treating everybody else well. But that's who we're doing it for. And anytime we get off track, we get messed up. And, and you all probably get that. The moment you're out there trying to make people happy, you're not. It's a big mess. You make him happy, and then he takes care of the rest of it. So they, they weren't doing that. In Matthew 23, 6-9, in the next woe, we see they're filled with pride and arrogance, and they wanted to be exalted over others. They rejected servanthood and humility, which was the foundation of the teaching of Jesus. And he's making that point again. They've rejected it. They've just said, no, we don't want to be like everybody else. We don't want to get down there and do that. We're not going to do it. And what we're going to do is kill you. That was how strong the rejection was of the picture that Christ painted about what relationship with God was really all about because they rejected jesus and his teaching god rejects them and that's what happens in those verses in in verses 16 through 22 they were blind guides who uh, cared about man-made rules and they, they had missed the realities of faith and relationship with god they couldn't see because all they cared about was their own rules and keeping their own rules and their own system they'd set up over the last couple hundred years moving in the right direction. Matthew 23, uh, 23, 24. They were hypocrites. They were making a big deal about tithing the leaves of the tiny herbs like mint, while overlooking justice and mercy. See, again, we find out what's important to them. So their 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 big thing is giving a tenth, which they really did, which they really weren't doing. They were just trying to give everybody else. Do they had their own set of rules about what they were doing, which really didn't count because they kept getting it back. Or they would say it was God's, but they never really gave it to him. It was promised to God. Uh, and and so they had all these ways around it. But they were making a big deal. And the thing is, they were, they, were, they were saying you had to tie the tenth of your mint leaves, which are real small things. That was how extreme it was. But they weren't operating in mercy and justice and forgiveness. See, they weren't extending the kingdom of God to anybody. And Jesus says, this is one of the things he said, you should have done the latter and the former. He said, tithing isn't the issue. It's that you're not doing what matters and and you should be doing both not not just get the one thing Uh, and again see they missed the bigger picture and and we have to be careful that we don't miss the bigger picture it's always about extending mercy and kindness in the kingdom of god to people around us verses 25 to 27 we see that they were hypocrites who cared about outward appearances while being filled with greed all they cared about was that was all the whole gold thing that's all they cared about it was all about by that point that's what mattered was their own lives Verses 28 through 36, um, they were just like the religious legalists in their own history who had always killed the messenger sent by God. See, the Pharisees weren't new to this. For generations, whenever God sent someone to straighten them out, the religious leaders had them killed. And it happened time after time after time after time. And they were saying, we're not like them. And Jesus said, you're exactly like them because you're about to kill me. And it's going to be on you. Because you shouldn't. You should know better, but you don't listen. You refuse to listen. And he he makes these claims. He talks about Abel, who's the first righteous martyr in the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis chapter four eight, and Zechariah was the last one mentioned in Second Chronicles twenty four, which is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. And and in making that statement, Jesus canonizes the entire New Testament, which is really good, because he by that I mean he says. That's the first book and the last book, and that's what it's supposed to be, and that works with the 39 that we got. So that gets the Old Testament in for us nicely. You know, the New Testament we have to get in through the, through the councils in 300-some uh, A.D., but Jesus canonizes the entire Old Testament for us. So that's a great thing to have in that statement. And then at the very end of this entire expose, though, we still see the heart of Jesus, whose, whose heart sort of breaks over Jerusalem. And he says, you know, I've wanted just to gather you together. My heart was to come. I came to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. That's, that's, what, that's what the heart of God is, to, to take his people and, and to gather them to himself, and you and wouldn't come. And you, you just see the heartbreak. Uh, he's not happy in what he's doing. This isn't giving him pleasure to, to make these sweeping statements. It's it breaking his heart. But they've rejected him as their king, and, and because of that, they'll be rejected. And that's what happens with Matthew 23. And then he's going to walk out and, and he's going to leave in Matthew 24. And then we get to start talking about the, the end of the age, which is pretty interesting. So, not that it's not all interesting, but it should be interesting. So, read Matthew 24 uh, for next week, and we will talk about it more. And I hope we explain Matthew 22 a little better. And I think that's it for today. Um, if you're watching by video, if you're up in Williston, God bless you guys. And uh, they'll pray for you up there. Uh, if you're on the internet and watching, um, and you need prayer, you let us know. Uh, just uh, send us an email or something on the on the site that you're on, and uh, we're going to close and we're going to pray for the folks that are here. If you have a prayer requests, pass them up to me, and I will pray for you. All nicely done.